This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, that music means one thing and one thing only. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN joining us, and I'm not sure if he's as uh, buckled as Gary Lawless was in the first hour, but we're about to find out. Hello, Greg. (laughs) No, man, the thing about having the Stanley Cup final in Vegas is that it gets done, (laughs) and then you're expecting it to be this incredible, cathartic celebration with all of your colleagues, and then they all pack it in by, like, 1.30 in the morning because they've been in the midst of a cathartic, celebration for our entire time (laughs) here in vegas so the people that i was playing blackjack with at three in the morning the other night are are tucked into their little their little uh high thread count beds last night after game five so who are you out with last night then who'd you go with give us uh give us some name we want names wishinsky names well uh, well the other night the other night was better because i was out playing uh blackjack with my colleague uh steve levy who uh shot me daggers nice. from across the table when he when he realized what a conservative blackjack player I am. I'm a stay on 16 guy, which I know is bad juju for the table mm. and yada, yada, yada. And every time I play, I get grief for it. But last night it was just like, you know, we all <laughs> kind of converged at this bar at the uh, Cosmopolitan. Yep. And it was a great mix of people. It was, you know, like NHL.com people, our, our, our mutual friend, Mike Seisberger, who has a great story on Alex Petrangelo oh. today. You should go check out. Um, yes. It's good stuff, yes. man. It's, a, you know, it's, it's a, as you know, in the media, like we can all, it's a, it's a, it's a family. We, we fight sometimes and we get sick of each other sometimes. Um, but we're all in this very unique industry and um and at the end of the day it's it's kind of a it's always a fun time to just be in this mix with a mm-hmm. bunch of very eclectic talented people uh every year so how would you rate then this stanley cup final maybe not in terms of maybe not in terms of what we saw on the ice because listen this was vegas dominating the Florida Panthers, even game three, with all due respect to Florida. I mean, Vegas carried the play, you know, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas carried that game. Like not so much what we saw on the ice, but just the phenomenon of Vegas and Florida in a Stanley cup final. And what, if any effect do you think we'll see from this carrying into next season and subsequent seasons? Well, I hope the effect is in 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 Florida. I mean, listen, <laughs> cup or no cup, and maybe even no cup would have been even like better. Vegas is fine. Vegas is a hockey town with occasional gambling. Oh yeah. Uh, the the fact of uh, of how this place has boomed as a hockey mecca is is still always remarkable when I come here. I I was here at the first game, man. That very emotional night right after the shooting on the strip when. Derek Engelin gave his impassioned speech and immediately bonded this team mm-hmm. with this community. And to come back six years later and see all of the license plates that have night stuff on it and all of the stores that have night stuff yep. on it and go to Summerlin and see how that's become a standing room only uh, turning people away at the door practice facility. I mean, it's th- whether or not they win here, this place is fine. Where I hope it helps is in Sunrise, where... You know, not only do those fans get the taste of living and dying with their team, which you and I have talked about for years, it's the easiest way to make a hockey fan. It's like have them emotionally invest in the playoff run. But now they've got something they've never had, which is a a, a megastar. 
and Matthew Kachuk is a megastar. And, you know, the, the, his, his, his charisma, his play, his attitude, his savvy, his heroic moments in these playoffs, I hope uh, lend itself to him becoming an iconic figure in that sports market. Like, like get, get that picture of him shaking hands with, with Lionel Messi tomorrow. Uh, because th- that needs to happen. It needs to be <laughs> elevated on that on that level. Yeah. And and the true the true tragedy yep. of the final, I mean, is that we didn't get to see his story end in a proper way. Like he, we that that story yep. was taken from us by injury. And and I mean, their goose was cooked last night, probably regardless. But it certainly was cooked without having, you know. It, let me put it this way, Merrick. You can't go back to the Boston series and say we've done this before. Uh, and rally from a 3-1 deficit without the guy who scored the overtime goal yeah. that sparked that rally. I mean, it, it kind of rang false, and it was a, sh- a shame he couldn't participate last night. It just kind of looked weird, too, like without Matthew Kachuk in there. And there were moments where, you know, Gudis was that guy. Um, but even still, like, was it not weird watching this game uh, with play around the net? Aiden Hill would freeze the puck. The linesman would blow the whistle, and nothing would happen. There was there was no shot and the, there was no like cross check in the lower spine. There was no pawing to the jaw. There was nothing. The guys just went back to the face off circle. That's when I looked at the Florida Panthers and said, "Oof, man, this is not." Even though everyone bemoans like, "Oh, geez, here we go, another scrum or oh, another cheap shot," but that's been the Panthers' identity all along. And then watching this in the game last night, when now mind you, by this point, you know Riley Smith had probably scored the fourth uh, of nine uh, Vegas Golden Knights goals, and everything had just sort of slipped away. But still, like it was, it was to be honest with you, wish it was kind of jarring watching the whistle blow and watching Florida do nothing after the whistle. Well, first off, they were probably worried their bodies would fall apart because apparently everybody on that team was being kept together by, you know, electrical tape and prayers uh, by the end of the playoffs, according to Paul Maurice last night. But, I mean, let's face facts. I mean, we cover this game. We try to make these matchups as compelling as possible. The truth of the matter is that everybody mm-hmm. who was in the, the Florida Panthers dressing room in the days leading up to game five knew this thing was done. They knew that the, that they they knew in their hearts two 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 truths. One is that without Matthew Kachuk as their spiritual leader and most effective offensive player, they couldn't win. And two, they kind of knew they had to make it two two. Like once once they lose game four, and have to come back here and try to win uh, twice in this building, where by the way, yeah. Florida has never won once in the regular season or the playoffs, <laughs> they kind of, they kind of yeah. knew what, what the deal was. And so the lack of pushback I think has to do with exhaustion and injury and depression because they don't have Kachuk and also probably the reality of their surroundings. And by the way, also let's talk about energy. Let's not, re- I think we forget that sure. like they went through the Leafs and we went through that they went through the hurricanes, albeit one of those hurricanes games being, you know, two games as far as like how long it took, but the amount yep. of, of energy and, and mental uh, preparedness and everything that, that they had to go through to rally in that first round. Yeah, I mean, once you have a round like that, it's, it, it does end up coming home to roost at some point. And then you look at, like you said, Merrick, the golden Knights going like a hot knife through butter for most of these playoffs through these series. It's, it, you can tell which one was the stronger team at the end. 
So two two things about Florida on that. Um, and maybe this will be, I just got a note from someone saying, you know, the uh, the outliers to what I'm about to say are the St. Louis Blues in 2019. Um, one, if you play a physical brand of hockey as your identity, and that was very much the Florida Panthers, we're coming in and we're going to bully you. You know, we're coming in, we're going to kick Sandy in your face, we're going to take your per diem, we're going to take our two points, and we're going to leave. That was what the Florida Panthers did to the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, and the Carolina Hurricanes. When you play that style of hockey, it's hard and it takes a toll on you. And we saw that in you know the big reveal by Paul Maurice after uh, after Game Five last night. We tend to think like, oh, look at the punishment they're inflicting on other teams. That punishment is also being inflicted on themselves. You know, when every game it's sixty hits and sixty-five hits, that takes a toll. And it's hard to do yeah. it for more than two rounds. Um, and I think we saw that in the final. The other thing is, and this is where, and you and I have talked about this for years, Greg, the luxury of having someone that can score easy goals. That's the one thing Florida didn't have. Mm-hmm. Because Florida, did you not get the mm-hmm. sense, they had to grind for every single goal. That is so taxing on you physically and on you mentally. And then you just turn around and boom, boom, you know, Marsha So and Smith just score like within 30 seconds of each other. And you're just like, oh, yeah. Like the ability to have someone that can score. And this is where always this to me was, you know, part of the genius of, you know, the Penguins having Phil Kessel, like these types of players, guys that can just score two easy ones for you. It takes so much of the pressure off and so much of the mental strain off your team because, okay, here we go. Let's let's lift this rock back up the mountain. Oh, it just tumbled down the other side. There's like a Sisyphus quality about it when you have to grind for every single goal. And that was the Florida Panthers. Yeah. And, and part of that math is that when, where do you score those easy goals? You score them on the power play. So then when your power play is garbage for the entirety of the Stanley cup final, that only underscores how hard it is. I, I, I was, I mean, they scored it in garbage time, but I mean, like the bottom line is that their ceiling in this series was two goals pretty much like the, the other game where they scored three was in overtime. Last night they scored three. It's it, the game's out of hand by that point. Their ceiling was basically two goals mm-hmm. in the series, and I don't think that you're going to win the Stanley Cup if you can't, on a consistent basis, a score more than two goals, and b. I, I, I still fundamentally disagree with Paul Maurice. We talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago, like where he said, "I don't think offense is our problem. I think defense is our problem." And and maybe he's thinking defense leads to offense, but I still think at the end of the day. The only way that they are going to beat the Golden Knights in this series was not punching them in the, in the face. It wasn't playing super rock-tight defense in, in front of Bobrovsky. It was it was putting the fear in the Golden Knights that if they score three, the Panthers can score four. And at no point in this series was that fear ever a reality. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I thought about last night after the Vegas Golden Knights won this thing, you start to think of people in the organization, players, coaches, managers, etc., and everyone's journey to get to, to get there. And there's a lot of lessons, I think, contained in how this thing was put together. And, you know, one name that I mentioned in the first hour is Tom Paraska from General Fanager. You know, I thought about him uh, and I thought about that journey. And you think about, you know, Kelly McCrimmon and he talked, you know, glowingly about, uh, about, uh, about Brad, his late brother. 
uh, beast for for my money. One of the best, one of the best defensemen um, in his era of the NHL was no secret that you know one of the best D, one of the best single D on one of the best you know one of the best blue lines of the '80s. That '87 Flyers team, Brad McCrimmon was a huge part of that with Crossman and uh, and Howe and Marsh. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that when Nick Lidstrom came over uh, from Sweden, the first person they put him with in Detroit was Brad McCrimmon. And hearing Kelly talk about him and his mom and dad and family, uh, you have to have the coldest, the coldest, tiniest, blackest heart uh, not to empathize with Kelly McCrimmon at that point. Thought about George McPhee and thought about all, and, and George McPhee was one of those like not wanted on the voyage in Washington. And like all these players, Marsh is so, all these guys not wanted on the voyage. And then there's the the the, you know, the idea of luck along the way. You know, what if Doug Armstrong says, okay, Alex Petrangelo, we'll concede, you'll get your full no move. And he stays with the St. Louis Blues. Or if the Buffalo Sabres say, you know what, we're all turned around on Dr. Prusmack, you can have the ADR. And you can go through that for a lot of different players here. What did you think about the minute that um, uh, that the Vegas Golden Knights won the Cup? Were there any players or people you <laughs> thought of right away? Let's let's add one. Let's add one other. What if one of my favorite what ifs about this team? What if they had traded for Eric Carlson in their first season? Because that was a real possibility. Was them getting Eric Carlson yep. before he went to San Jose, and that would have been a very Absolutely. interesting development for the the uh, trajectory of this franchise. Pa- um, I wrote about this. Pause on that for oh, pa- hang on. Pause on that for one second. Pause on that for one second because while we're talking about this series, you know there is a belief or some talk out there that some way somehow, and now they'll have some more cap space to play with. You know, there's a lot of talk about Carlson ending up with the Florida Panthers next season. I think it makes like when a things ton of sense. fizzled all, with Edmonton always... this year. The, so. That's, I mean, I, I've talked to people around Carlson. I know for a fact that, like, the, that South Florida is one of the places where he would go. Um, that's that's canonical at this point. So if they could make it work, I wouldn't be shocked. It's definitely one of the places where he's said he he would end up. Uh, so if that if that's what they do, then that's great. Um, so I, I mean, I I wrote about this last night. I have a big long essay on the Golden Knights and sort of their, I compared them to, I think they're the NHL's best startup company. You know, they started out, they're a bunch of misfits. They're all having fun. They're all wearing Hawaiian shirts to work. They're playing pinball games. They're having movie nights. And then you got to start making money, right? And now it gets real, mm-hmm. right? And and now you got to say goodbye to your some of your friends. You got to say goodbye to Nate Schmidt, president of the fund committee. You got to say goodbye to the face of the franchise, Marc-Andre Fleury. And the, and you did so in ways that were cruel and callous. And, and now people aren't necessarily looking at you the same way because you've had to make these uh, calculated decisions that, that have a human toll. Um, but then you win. And, and, and then you look back and say, okay, so, so maybe that was just how it had to be. There was mistakes made along the way, and it could have been done better and more efficiently. But that's what happens when you have a, a baby franchise and a startup company. Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I thought about a lot of the guys that made their way here. I think the guy I I thought of most last night was Eichel, to be honest with you. Um, I talked to him Mm -hmm. a bit last night after the game about those moments in Buffalo when it's not just simply like he didn't make the playoffs. I mean, 
you got to remember, this guy didn't make the playoffs in Buffalo. Then he came to Vegas, and they didn't make the playoffs for the first time in their franchise's yep. history. And there's got to be a little bit of like, is it me? <laughs> What's going on with Jack Eichel? Um, and there's and, a little bit of know, Incredible Hulk about, there. Uh, maybe the problem yeah. is me. Wait on a second. Maybe the problem is me. Everywhere yeah, I go, people hate me. So, so like I, I talked to him a bit about that last night, and and like the uh, the notion of like, not only are you worried about, am I ever going to make the playoffs? But you, the Stanley winning the cup is not even on your mind, and so. The thing that happened with Eichel in these playoffs, and the reason I thought about him was, it's not just now he's a star player with a ring, and and he's no longer a jinx, and everything he went through, standing up for what he believed in as far as his surgery resulted in, in things working out in the in the best way for him. He's healthy and he's in a place where he's happy, but he also ended up as a member on Bruce Cassidy's team. And the biggest thing for Eichel for me in these playoffs was that it was a revelatory moment when even the harshest critics of this guy had to look at the way he played and say, that guy's a star. That guy's a number one center. That guy is playing a 200-foot game. And there were moments in these playoffs in which he was as good defensively as he was offensively. And if I time-traveled back four years and told you that's what we would be saying about Jack, Jack Eichel in 2023, you would have called me insane. He was a one-dimensional player with a big, dumb contract, and and he has become somebody that is, <laughs> without question, one of the best all-around players in this league. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the great things, um, you know, we're always concerned, always so concerned about, you know, grow the game, grow the game, grow the game. One of the great things about this one, it's too bad that Kachuk was injured uh, uh, going into the, uh, uh, certainly into the, into the final game, but going into this series, I still think he was pretty banged up going into the into the Stanley Cup final here. Um, is this was two great American superstars going head to head? This is Jack Eichel and Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. I know that they're from markets that oh, aren't yeah. exactly the Los Angeles Kings facing off against the New York Rangers, but still, these are two of the best U.S.-born players in the game going uh, going head to head here. Um, there are okay, two. I, dates I just want to give a shout that out. I, the, that I, hold on, I want to give a shout out. I want to I want to give a shout out to the Panthers real quick on this Kachuk thing. Sure. I don't know how they did it. Okay. I don't know how they did it, but. Two hours before puck drop last night, the Golden Knights did not know what was the status of Matthew Kachuk. Like, no one knew. Like, I, they, I don't know how they kept it so quiet where you have a guy that needs people to help him get dressed <laughs> to just play game four, and the, uh, and the, and the opponent yeah. doesn't know. I mean, kudos to Paul Maurice for flooding the zone on that story because, like, I, I, I talked to Google, Golden Knights sources, like, two hours before puck drop, and they still thought there was a chance hmm. Kachuk would play. So that's that's incredible work by the Panthers too. It's annoying for the media as because we have to write stories about like <laughs> I don't know maybe when he's got a broken sternum, but they did a really good job putting yeah. uh, at least a seed of doubt in the minds of their opponent that Kachuk could have some miraculous recovery for Game Five. I I wonder though if you talk to and again it's tough to get a, a candid honest moment with a lot of players during the playoffs during the Stanley Cup Finals certainly during a closeout night. But I wonder if you um, if you talk to Vegas Golden Knights players who played against Matthew Kachuk in Game Four, what they thought, because there's there's one thing that I I think that, geez, when did I start in this in this in in doing hockey specifically? Two thousand and three. Um, the I think I have only learned one thing about hockey in all of this time, Greg, and it's this: you can't lie to players. 
players know. Players know who belongs. Yeah. Players know who don't belong. And players know who's injured. And players know who's healthy because they play against them. I wonder if you ask those Vegas Golden Knights players that competed against Matthew Kachuk in Game 4 what they honestly thought about him. Like you're not going to get well, an honest answer. They you, thought, good luck finding it. Well, you know, this is this is this is lamp at noon. Go look for an honest man. You're not going to find it. Not in the playoffs. But I I wonder if like retrospectively now you ask Vegas Golden Knights players, hey, what did you think of Kachuk after Game Four? How many will come clean and say, yeah, we knew he was hurt. We knew he was aching. We could tell when we they, played against them. Oh, you don't you don't have to be you know uh, uh, you know have have psychic powers to figure that out. He only had four shifts in the third period. Where I think things got a little cloudy was this idea that Maurice kind of put out there on Sunday, which was maybe he only plays situationally. Maybe he just plays in the power play. Maybe when we need him in the power third, play, he's out there. The like net. the idea of Matthew Kachuk just being on that bench and being used situationally, because mm-hmm. that's exactly what he was in Game Four. I think was a thing that a lot of the Golden Knights were considering as a possibility, even though they knew this guy was severely injured. So, again, kudos to Florida for playing a real good PR game on that one. I, I think that they, they right up until the wire, they they kind of had a little bit of of of, of doubt planted with the Golden Knights that Kachuk would play. Okay, growth of the game, and I think that Vegas winning is going to have yet another cascading effect on. Uh, people that are interested in getting into the NHL. I think that we're going to go through another round of expansion at some point here. We've talked about Utah. We've talked about Atlanta, which is still hot, Houston, etc. I was mentioning this in the first hour. I'm going to give you a couple of dates, though, that go along with it. Whenever and whomever writes the book on the salary cap era of the NHL, the first 20 years, there are two dates that I look at that are crucial for where the NHL lurched forward and the league really got financially healthy for a lot of owners really quickly. One day is February 14th, yes, Valentine's Day, and not so subtly, it happened in Niagara Falls, the uh, the honeymoon capital of the world, February 14th, 2005. That was the day the NHL Players Association came off their no-cap stance. That's when they started talking about negotiating a salary cap. The minute that that happened, everything changed. And the balance of power really, really shifted to ownership. And we started to see, once the CBA was finally put to bed and they got the head of Bob Goodenow, you started to see franchise values rise. The other one, and this is where I get to Vegas here, and by extension, Seattle. June 16th, 2017. That was the day the NHL unveiled what the new rules were going to be for the expansion draft and what the protected list was going to look like. Seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender, or eight skaters, forwards or defensemen, and one goaltender. And you saw what happened with Vegas. They went to the final in their first year. They won the Stanley Cup yesterday. The Seattle Kraken in Season 2 knock off the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche and make it to the second round. By redoing the expansion draft rules, the message to the marketplace is spend your money here. You don't have to wander and lose money for a decade until you start to break even. 
with the rules that we have, you can be successful almost immediately. And in the case of Vegas, immediately. What do you think of that? Oh, I think it's it was hugely important. And, and, and again, the other thing about that that's important to remember is something that David Poyle said at the time, which is that it, it was a correction to what the NHL hadn't been doing. Um, they had been doing their expansion teams wrong for 20 years. And, you know, markets yep. like Ottawa and Florida and Columbus, really, and Nashville, all suffered. Minnesota. Like, if those teams... Yeah, they all suffered. I mean, Minnesota had to play the trap because they didn't have the talent to do anything else. So, like, it, all of those they markets... They trapped and had Gabrick. <laughs> they had Gabrick and everyone Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So imagine what those markets would be like now if, if they didn't have to, like, wander the wilderness for the first, like, several years of their existence because they were picking from the scrap True. heap in the expansion draft. Um, I come, again, like, listen, I think what Seattle did this year is awesome. That's a great market. They're going to be fine. I think the Vegas thing is still one of the most remarkable stories in recent sports history insofar as being so unbelievably smart. And, and I'm going to put this all on George McPhee. Due respect to Kelly McCrimmon, this was George's thing. Um, being so smart to leverage those rules in the way in which they did. I mean, they, other teams weren't prepared for the change. Whenever there's a, ch- a huge change in, in the marketplace, teams aren't prepared. Think of how, you know, Toronto had to handle the, the flat cap, you know, how, how their yep. great plans got scuttled and all of a sudden they're making the Patrick Marlowe trade and stuff like that. Whenever unforeseen mm-hmm. things happen, teams don't know how to react. And, and the Golden Knights pounce on that. I, I wrote about it in, in, my, in my story that's on the site today. Like, all of those misfits that are on this team now were acquired, almost all of them, through leverage. They weren't acquired through, you know, plucking guys because they were available. They were acquired because Florida freaked out mm-hmm. and gave them Riley and Smith and Marsha. So because Anaheim freaked out, they didn't want to lose Manson or, or um, oh, who was the other guy that was available? Uh, I forget who the other guy was, but oh, oh, it was uh, Vatnin. They didn't want to use, uh, lose, uh, lose uh, uh, Sammy Vatnin, uh, Manson yeah. or Vatnin. So, Right, so they, they traded Shea Theodore, so they would take Clayton Stoner. Carrier was a forced thing. Uh, Carlson was a forced thing. It was, that was so they could take the David Clarkson contract in the expansion draft. The guys Listen, that are the, 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 the misfits on this team now were acquired at, through pressure mi- because of that expansion draft. Minnesota protecting Dumba, going out of their way to protect Dumba. And then, ironically enough, right. like and, later, and, Eric Holler turned into, to, to, turned into Nick Waugh. Right, but uh, but you know the the key to that 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 anecdote is that that's how the Knights acquired Alex Tuck, who became the centerpiece of the Jack Eichel trade. Jack Eichel. So all yeah yeah all of that pressure exerted through those expansion draft rules, and and the way that George McPhee used that leverage is is the reason why that date is so salient. Um, let me, um, let, let me finish up here with a, a quick conversation about lessons from the Vegas Golden Knights. And I suppose by extension, lessons from the Florida Panthers. Um, we've always been led to believe, and this is why I love the Stanley Cup final, because these are two teams that fly in the face of that wisdom. We've always believed that the only way you're going to be successful is by drafting and developing. That's it. It's the only way you can do it. 
That's the only way that it happens in the NHL. So draft wisely and make sure your development staff is on point. I think there were three players from the Florida Panthers that were drafted on that roster. One, uh, Nick Haig from the, uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights. These were all teams that were put together primarily, well, expansion draft one, but uh, trades and free agent signings. You know, some work on the waiver wire as well. But that's how these things were done. Now we're faced with the flat cap right now for this uh, this summer, and we've already seen some trade activity. Uh, I do. I was talking to someone the other day who said, you know, it sounds very much like, you know, and I, I know we say this every year, and I always have to catch myself. But this year specifically with the flat cap and the lessons of Vegas and Florida, I wonder if this is going to be one of the more interesting draft times to follow not just because of Connor Bedard, et cetera, but because of the trades. And a lot of that is because look what Vegas did. We've always believed you have to draft and develop. Maybe there's more than one way to win the Stanley Cup because Vegas just showed us that there is. Well, listen, <laughs> Vegas is an outlier because they not only Florida got there too because of being, but dude, they're an expansion team. Like they're they're drafting the development is immaterial to them winning this cup because it's a six-year window from the start of the franchise to now. Their biggest advantage was a clean slate on the cap. That was their biggest advantage. And that's why what they did can't be repeated because you're, you know, when, when you come into the, when, if you're a GM that takes over a team, you're never going to be at zero. And when McPhee took over Vegas, it was at zero. And yeah, they've had some bumps in the road along the way. They, they hit the ceiling a few times, but that's the advantage they had in building this team that no one else will have outside of the other expansion teams. To go back to your original point of why why buy into the league now? Because it's a capped league and you come in mm-hmm. with a clean sheet. That's as important as the expansion draft. The thing about Florida, though, vis-a-vis this offseason that I'm excited about is someone is going to take the wrong advice and the wrong inspiration from the Kachuk trade. There, some uh, Kyle Dubas already referenced it in his goodbye press conference in Toronto. Like yeah. someone's going to try to make the Kachuk trade with their their guy that they they're getting a lot of production out of, but maybe he's not the guy that you can win with in the playoffs. And oh, here's someone we might be able to win with in the playoffs instead. And someone's going to try to recreate the Kachuk trade and not understand that this kid is a unicorn, and that is why they had to make the trade. That's why they gave up Huberdeau. And, and Uyghur on top of obviously mm-hmm. like the contractual things that they weren't sure about with those guys. They, they went all in to get Kachuk because there's only one Kachuk and someone will not understand that and, and try to repeat through that, that trade. And it'll be hilarious when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me, let me, let me close on this one here. Cause we're talking about, you know, the success of expansion teams. Um, if you were, uh, let's just say, because he's, you know, in the news, uh, if you were Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, someone trying to bring NHL to that state, and the NHL said to you, um, Mr. Smith, we're very impressed uh, with how you've handled yourself. Uh, we very much like you in this league. We'll give you the choice. You can either have an expansion team based on these expansion draft rules, or you can have the Arizona Coyotes. What would you choose? I would, I would, so I think now that question is answered by how much he wants to spend. 
right? Um, what is the expansion fee going to be for Utah or Houston or Atlanta? Does it I, get up to I, a honestly, billion? Dude, I think it's going to be a billion dollars. I think it's a billion dollars. <laughs> don't you? I think it's a billion. Well, I don't think that. I don't. Yeah. I just so I don't think you have to spend. Right. I don't think which again is under a billion. Which I, I we didn't talk about it, dude. But what an absolute debacle! What a debacle by that family to screw up these deals so badly that it came in south of a billion dollars. What an embarrassment. Um, if you can get the Coyotes for less than a billion, and I think that you can, while it may not offer you the same advantages through the expansion draft and a clean cap sheet like we talked about like maybe it's the more mm-hmm. economically feasible decision if you're utah it may not be for if for atlanta and it may not be for houston and who knows what even houston what their situation is vis-a-vis the you know the future of the nhl there um i think the more you, you talk to people the more it sounds like it could be a utah atlanta expansion at some point um but yeah, I think I think the price of the franchise might be a big deal right now because, like you said, I mean we've gone from five hundred for Vegas to what seven fifty for Seattle, was it? Um, to probably a billion for the next the next teams that enter this league. Wild. Uh, may you live in interesting times. Uh, interesting final. Interesting uh, market. Vegas, and I'm with you. I I really hope that this does good business for the Florida Panthers. And it sounds like like this was a good like just to put a bow on this. Like this was a really good season for the Florida Panthers. Whether it was All Star, whether it was this run, uh, whether it was previous to that, the Matthew Kachuk trade, so they got their big U.S. superstar. Like all in all. This was a really good season for the Florida Panthers. Like, I know it sucks today. I know it sucks to get on that plane and go home. But this was a really good year for the Florida Panthers, Wish. It was. And I, and, and your, your, your talk right there also made me think, for all the people out there listening, would love to know your grade for the postseason. It wasn't the best, but it certainly had some high spots and some real shockers. And maybe we didn't like the ultimate result as far as who was playing for the cup because it's not the most compelling teams. But man, it was an it was a pretty remarkable postseason in a lot of ways. First round was really good, man. <laughs> I mean, I know the four opening overtime round is game always the, good, but this was really four overtime really good. classic in the in, in the conference final too. I mean, we had a game seven between Dallas and, and the Kraken too. I mean, there was definitely some highlights, and I I, I was blessed enough to be there for a lot of them but you know overall i, I think people will probably say that this is a, a, a b minus or b postseason just because of the lack of drama in a lot of these series and and certainly the lack of drama in the cup final which was made a coronation at times it felt like but it de- i mean mm-hmm. there are going to be there's a couple of things that happen in this playoff merrick that i'm never going to forget as a hockey fan like the florida rally in the first round over boston is a an all-timer the four overtime game is an all timer. Like just some stuff that we'll always pull from this 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 thing, including that menagerie of sparkly gold freaks all partying last night in Vegas. I, I wish I was a Golden Knights fan. It's like it's like Comic Con. Every night you go to the game. I was like jealous, like of of how much fun <laughs> these guys have, and I'm I'm happy for them. I'm so happy for the fans here. Uh... Uh, I'm legit happy to, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I was wrong about this because I was one of the ones that said this was <laughs> not going to work. 
I, I was like, I've always said this, mea culpa. I was 100% wrong on this one. And now, listen, the NHL got in, the NFL is there, Major League Baseball is going to be there sooner than later. Um, this is becoming a pro sports hub. And the NHL, how many times have we ever said this? The NHL was first. NHL yeah. was first on and, something and, here, and it, Greg. And it, it's been a success. And real quick, real quick, that's the most important thing to take away from the Golden Knights' success here is that they have a slogan. It's called Vegas Born, and it has resonated. The, the Raiders, they are mm-hmm. interlopers. The A's, whatever. The, 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 the WNBA team is real. The Knights are real. Maybe if the NBA expands here, it'll be real. But the fact that the Golden Knights were not a relocation, but an expansion yeah. team, and the first pro team to ever play in Vegas, I cannot tell you what an impact that has had in this team being the success that it is. And Bill Foley said it himself. The people here wanted something, and that became the Vegas Golden Knights. And now look at this, look at this franchise. Yeah. Congrats uh, to all of them. All right, uh, safe travels, Greg, and we'll talk in seven days. The season's not over for us. Talk to you next week, pal. All right. Let's do it. Bye. There he is, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN.com. Check him out there, uh, his latest uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights, and congrats to them once again for winning the Cup.